Hello, my name's Charlie, I'm from the northwest of England. Hello, my name's Ethan, and I'm from Kent. Hi, I'm Patrick, and I'm from Yorkshire. We represent a group called Local Matters. We're a pressure group organisation that attempts to shift politics through ground-up activism, starting at the local level. The weakness and inability for political groups to make changes in this country via their party system has become very apparent in recent elections. For example, the Green Party and UKIP both gained 0.2% of the seats in the Parliament, despite scoring over 15% of the total vote combined in 2015. For this reason, we are demanding change from outside the political system. This is largely related to one of our goals, which is rebuilding civil society, that is, making people feel part of a group other than the state. In a word, we're concerned with community. Our three main aims are localism, environmentalism and political reform. Today we're going to talk about the first one, localism, which others may refer to as anti-globalism. So, localism itself is, um, as definition, the prioritisation of local businesses and local political powers, as well as celebrating the preservation of distinct regional identities. Some may refer to this as anti-globalist, but anyone who builds their identity on negation seldom brings any solutions to the table. Some of the immediate causes for the foundation of this group include the democratic crisis in this country after Brexit, both within the country and with our relationship with the European Union, as well as the environmental crisis, which has been made clear by the Extinction Rebellion protests and can no longer be ignored. This convergence of crises isn't a coincidence. It's all because, and simply put, things are getting too big, and our government is now only concerned with infinite economic growth, not the growth of stability of the country or its people. It's important to mention as well that localism does not mean isolationism. There should still be cooperation on a regional, national and international level. This should be done correctly. We've seen it done incorrectly recently with the European Union, as more than half the country voted for Brexit. The EU pushes political reform down its nation-states' throats, while only promising them trade benefits. So, let's talk about the negative effects of globalism. A lot of them could be quite obvious, um, but I think it'd be good for us to outline you know, at least a few. And we're in one right now, the coronavirus. Look how, look how quickly this has spread because of the amount of travel, international trade that we're doing. Um, our country literally, um, all, almost all countries rely on uh, other nations halfway across the world um, to supply it with things that you know, a lot of the time it could be making at home. Yeah, I mean, we're always dependent on, on foreign manufacturing and especially foreign workers, uh, including our NHS. And, you know, the strain on the National Health Service is seen right now, especially in this um, time of the virus. I mean, you can see absolute overcrowding in shops, hospitals, everything else. We are struggling massively with overpopulation, which is a result of these globalist uh, policies of migration. Um, but I think, you know, the, the biggest concern that we have is, is that it's not getting any better. I mean, the current policy is just to continue growth. And that's, that's the biggest concern. You know, there is no um, sort of group really telling anybody about the dangers of globalism. It all seems to be sort of swept under the rug. And it just seems to be that everyone wants more and more growth and more and more money, when in reality, that's not how it's going to work as we start to see the cracks in the, uh, the globalist system currently show, especially in this time of crisis. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see the insecurity of the system when you just read some of the first headlines that came out when it was clear that this was going to become a global epidemic and later pandemic. It wasn't concern about the effect on local communities, on people's individual health and things like that. The first thing that most journalists spoke about was, is this the end of the neoliberal project? Is this the end of globalist earth? Things like that. I think that really shows the insecurity in the system where one crisis like this, although, as we've said, it's part of many crises, it only takes one thing for the whole thing to come possibly tumbling down and they're already trying to prop it up. In one of in one of Boris Johnson's announcements to the public, uh, I don't remember which one specifically, but he sat and he said, you know, uh, in this time of need, I know that our great nation could come together or something like that. Um, you know, he's not, he doesn't talk about the world, he doesn't talk about Europe. Uh, he talks specifically about uh, our nation, which he's referring to the UK, but well, in England, you know, is included in that. I think it's interesting that he, he defers to the strength of the nation rather than the strength of the continent or the world, um, because truly that is where the strength of um, community and teamwork lies within the nation. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I found that quite jarring when he said that, not in a bad way at all, but it's such a revolutionary thing, I think, to sort of speak. People compared it to Churchill as if that's the last time that the national level has been invoked. Um, but after that, it's basically been swept under the rug, the idea of national identity. So, you yeah. know, bringing it out of the cupboard to dust it off now that there's the first major crisis is quite a telling thing about this government or just the state of globalism. Yeah, I think it's madness that we, we think that, you know, working together as a community is something that we only do in times of crisis. It's as if it's... Um a return to you know 50 60 years prior and everyone's talking to their neighbors and working together there is you know a lot of um good that's come out of the coronavirus obviously there's a massive uh impact on on you know the economy and whatever else but the good it's done to communities and people working together and looking out for each other uh, especially you know people who are vulnerable older people is massive and that's something that i don't think should go away just because we're not in a time of, of a virus or a time of any sort of conflict I think, you know, we need to to look at the good that has come out by us looking to our communities and start, try and um, utilise that more in a day-to-day -day setting. When we, you know, as an organisation, when we looked at um, establishing volunteers in different areas for people who needed help, you know, it was outstanding the amount of groups and individuals that were already out there doing that, um, not only for the families, but for strangers within a couple of mile radius, you know, on a national scale. Um, the sort of community coming together spirit has really, really come to life. It's inspiring, but at the same time, it's quite tragic, I think. It illustrates the tragedy of the whole thing, where you know that as soon as the crisis is over, everyone's going to go back to how it was. And that shows yeah. that this current um, like outburst, I suppose, of community feeling is really based on a negative thing, which is you know a medical crisis, rather than what it should be, which is a positive, you know, based on a positive urge you know a completely natural thing like just the community spirit yeah it seems like people just want to return to normality i mean I, i'm seeing stuff on social media about you know people's greatest concern right now is that they can go back to kfc and you know as yeah. much as everyone likes a bit of fried chicken i think people are really looking over um you know a lot of the the community aspects that are going to go away uh, along with this virus and i think it's important that we try highlight those and show the actual good that, that all of us coming together has actually provided in, in forming a solid foundation to stop this virus breaking our morale down. 
Um, and I think highlighting the good that's happening in communities is something that we're doing that's that's really going to help that. I've seen a lot as well on, online about small businesses. I've seen a lot of people talking about um, you know, they're having to, not I mean admittedly not out of choice, but a lot of people are begrudgingly say, oh, you know, Tesco's run out of toilet roll, so I had to go to my newsagent who has loads. Um, you know, people are realising that there's more shops out there than supermarkets. Obviously, big companies buy the uh, they have the best brand recognition, the best marketing by far, but um, people are seeing that there are small businesses that they can rely on that, that don't come from an international scale. And I think that's where organisations like ours come in, because as you said, people are a lot of people are concerned about a return to normality when there should be groups such as ourselves who are reminding people that these great discoveries that they've made, the amount of people that I've heard saying that you know, oh, I can't believe how good that bakery is down the road. And I didn't even realise there was a local butcher down the road and he sells top quality cuts, things like that. We need to be there to remind people that this doesn't go away. And in fact, it becomes harder for them outside of times of crisis a lot of the time. And it shouldn't just be a return to normality. This should be a wake-up call for the people of this country. I hope it is. I hope this yeah. momentum, I hope this generates momentum that will carry on uh, even when coronavirus is gone. Um, We'll have to see, and obviously we'll do our best to push that momentum as far as we can. I I think genuinely believe it's it's going to be at least a good leap um, towards the end goal of you know, communities and small businesses. Um, I'm not expecting McDonald's to shut down after coronavirus because everyone started going to a local sandwich shop, but um, there's definitely a step towards that. Yeah, it's just kind of similar to the way pressure groups work now. You know, if you had this eating up enough of the market share, even if it doesn't cause the collapse of major corporations, it would at least encourage them to become more sustainable to try and compete, you know? Mm. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing as well is that regardless of, of how long this virus takes and, and, you know, whatever the result is afterwards, there's going to be a massive fallout. And I don't think people appreciate that enough. I don't think people understand that, you know, coronavirus as soon as the lockdown is gone it is not going to be a return to normality and hopefully that integration process as people slowly start to exit lockdown uh, and self-isolation hopefully that is the time that we can really pounce and remind people hey you know that that small bakery you were going to they're still open the butcher shop's still open rather than spending the extra uh you know two minutes down the road to go to asda why don't you actually go to your local shops and support them instead and hopefully we can keep those habits going as we integrate back into into normal life which hopefully um will be long enough that we, we have time to encourage that i mean one thing that i've found really helps um you know with my own sort of localist endeavors is that uh i stay in leeds quite a lot and there's a large market in leeds um which has everything from butchers to bakers to vegetable stands. And I do all my, my shopping there. And I think not only do I constantly get surprised by how cheap it is, uh, but also I think that building that relationship with your local businesses also ends up benefiting massively, um, where oftentimes I'll end up getting special deals and offers and stuff. And it's not even just a monetary thing. I mean, these are people who are also living in my local community. And when I'd much rather see, you know, my £20 note go into the pocket of someone who's going to go and spend that £20 note again in their local community and then keep, you know, our profits, our wages, our benefits in a way to enhance everybody and, and allow everyone around us to actually benefit from our own businesses, our own products. 
Well, yeah, that's the whole basis of the argument of a free market, isn't it? It's not that you spend your money, then it filters down and gets spent on a hotel in the Cayman Islands, you know? It's that it's it gets cycled throughout an enclosed system, and this is not enclosed at the moment. Yeah. But I think it's also an exponential effect when you said about the cost, where a lot of the time, because they get so little business, their prices have to go up a little bit. So the more people start doing it, they can start to lower their prices down to competitive levels, and then that's the beginning of it. Exactly, yeah. I don't even think it's necessarily much more expensive, especially depending on when you're going. Um, I mean, you've got this this sentiment where, you know, if I go buy a steak or a bunch of veg from the supermarket, it's going to be cheaper, it's going to be better quality, when nine times out of ten, that's not true. You know, that, that stuff's been sat on a shelf for God knows how long. It's been shipped in from God knows where. So, I mean, it's higher quality, and, you know, I don't think the prices are necessarily much different either. So, I mean, it's just a matter of people breaking habits and seeing that there is something other than the Tesco's and the Aldi around the corner, um, which I think is really important. But, I mean, the biggest issue as well is that in a lot of communities, people don't have that opportunity. I mean, I know tons of towns where they don't have a market. They don't have that, you know, local high street anymore. They do just have, you know, a large Morrison's or whatever else. And, you know, that's going to happen elsewhere. We're going to start to see, you know, the decline of these small businesses. I don't know if we will be able to make enough of an impact to stop that from happening in a lot of areas around the country. And that would be really sad to see. You know, actually mentioning um, the decline of small business, there was actually research done in 2019 by Funding Options, which revealed that 51% of UK small and medium business owners need more help to take control of their finances. That's 2.86 million small businesses in the UK who need, who are you know who say they're struggling. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially when you look at uh, with the coronavirus, there was a lot of uh, companies that had to lay off a lot of their employees, a lot of their staff. Uh, I know Weatherspoons was a massive one. I know quite a few people who work there. I know a lot of people who are students and stuff. Bar work is massive, and big chains like Weatherspoons, as much as I love the food and the cheap drinks. They laid off nearly all their staff and, and basically left them without money and without a lifeline. And the the companies that are local to me, you know, the local pubs and bars and stuff, haven't done that and wouldn't think twice about making sure that all their staff were looked after and, and that they could minimize the effect that they had, uh, a negative effect that they had on their employees. And I think that sort of community working together attitude is, is, is a massive thing. And I don't understand why we currently have a government that's would sooner support these massive corporations that, that don't do anything but benefit them in an economic sense. I think it's, you know, the 20th century was a massive time for economic and technological growth. And I think in that time, you know, we saw massive advances in medicine and trade, whatever else, thanks to some forms of globalism. But I think the biggest effect, really, that we've not seen so far is the psychological effect. And I think this move away from our own communities into these large corporations is having an effect maybe positively on our ec uh, economic situation but massively negative in a psychological aspect uh, i wonder what you guys think about that i've definitely seen some studies that suggested that people feel i suppose a lot more isolated and just alienated in general when there there's no link between them and the people around them you know you know for example you could take someone from leeds and put them down in plymouth or someone from Truro, take him up to York, and there really wouldn't be a change in their lifestyle, and there really wouldn't be a change in the way that they perceive their surroundings because of the lack of community links, and that's incredibly isolating and alienating. I mean, for social animals, it's it's baffling to see how sort of reserved we've all become 
it's moved away that we would you know talk to our neighbor or the men across the road uh, at lunchtime and now we're settled there on social media and obviously the effects of social media on psychology and, and you know people's mental health is massive uh, i'm sure we don't need to go into that people are thinking about you know their body image and, and whatever else from social media and as well as that it's, it's obviously that people are losing touch with the family members even now it's not it's not even just you know your neighbors or, or your man across the road it's you know, even family units starting to break apart as, as people are just seeking entertainment and, you know, that community aspect from elsewhere. I think I think that's a really good point. I think the communities have um, shifted from the real world, you know, from a geographic sense to um, the internet. And they, you get different communities based around uh, film series, games. And I wouldn't say that it's intentional, but to build communities around consumer products I think is a very strong strategy for any business to have for their brand recognition and for the continuation of recurring sales. And it's kind of a sort of faux socialization where you're, as you said, Patrick, talking to mannequins in a way over social media. If you were speaking to your friends in person or people across the road, family members, you'd know that everyone had flaws as well as virtues, things like that. But the version of themselves that people present on social media is so artificially constructed. It's so alienating because it's as if you're not talking to another human, if you know what I mean. So you're talking to a simulation a lot of the way, even if you don't consciously recognize it. We are definitely the best generation so far at monitoring ourselves in terms of how we present ourselves, what we say, what we don't say, what we post online, what we don't post online. You know, every decision that we make, everything we say and do online is the best self-censorship that anyone has ever seen. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard talking about things like this because there are so many positive aspects that people seem to take from it. I mean, if, if you go into a community of, of any sort, be it sports, be it video games, and you say to them, you know, you're insulating yourselves, you're not, you know, these people are getting real friendships and have massive takeaways from, from these communities that they're a part of, and saying that, you know, that is potentially something harmful is really, really um, provocative, I think. But I think what people need to remember is that, you know, I think football is a really great example for this, is that, you know, the fraternity that people are finding in their own football team, the association they have with, you know, some random bloke they've never met just because they support the same team, that is, is I feel, people trying to fill the void for the actual community and fraternity they have with, you know, the people around them in their own communities. And as people become insular, they're, they're projecting that fraternity and they're looking for groups elsewhere that they can sort of latch onto. And um, I think that's something that's massively missing, especially in uh, young boys and men um, who are looking for that sort of group and community feeling and, and sort of togetherness. Um, who are sort of without it. And I think that's a large factor in so many issues, including mental health and crime as well. Um, I mean, that's why you see stuff from, you know, these online gaming communities to people in London forming street gangs. You know, people want a sense of belonging that currently isn't being given to them from the place that it's supposed to be, which is their communities. You know, I mean, if you think about it on a very personal level, you know, the, the man across the road and your, your auntie lives around the corner, it, you, when you talk to them about issues in your community, you can relate to them and you can see together, you know, I'm sure we all have that one street near the shops where there's about 20 potholes in the road or, you know, the park that's covered in graffiti and litter. I mean, these are things, you know, that might not be massively important to you, but the things that I'm sure have been there in your local area the entire time that you've grown up and lived there. 
and, and what's been done about them. In your own local community, it's so hard to see change because power and energy is being devoted so widely across the country that we can't see the effects of what's being done. And I think, you know, if we were looking to improve our own communities, our own local areas, within our own local areas, of course we're going to have the people around us who, who know what's best. I mean, we're using a parliamentary system to represent areas which are, you know, decades old. We, the current system doesn't work f for how populated and how massive our country is. You know, people sat in parliament aren't able to represent you in your community because they don't know what's happening in your community and even your local member of parliament while they might be able to know a little bit more they can't have the power to to spread their resources equally among their entire constituency because the constituency is too large there are too many people within it and they only have so many resources but by allowing people in their own local communities to work for the local communities then hopefully we can create an environment where people are able to do more for, for something that they can you know feel a sense of belonging for which I think is is the biggest thing um, you know that people will be able to not only see their community improving but also feel a sense of ownership in the community and hopefully that will in future lead to a better maintenance and better community spirit as well the point you made about the size of constituencies is absolutely true across the entirety of the western world I think I mean one of the few times that George Washington spoke when he was president he said it is absolutely ridiculous to suggest that uh, one man, one congressman can represent 50,000 people. Now, each congressman represents on average 700,000 people. How is that congressman feasibly going to know all of his constituents? Because really, that is what representation is about. You know, even if not on a really personal level, you should at least know the general wishes of all of your population. And that's completely impossible with that size constituency. And it's the same in this country. And ultimately, these changes, while they're only small problems, if every park with litter on it was cleaned up throughout England, there will be a significant environmental difference within our country. So when we talk about these issues and you know, referring back to ground up activism, making small differences on a national scale can literally change the quality of the country overall. So I mean, yeah, like you said, it's not just you know, the small issues either. It is really encompassing of all of, of what our communities are about. And I mean, that is you know, the piece of litter on the floor, but it's also about you know, those 2.8 million small businesses that are now struggling that we can help and hopefully, you know, can provide a, a great service to our communities. Yeah, I mean, in the end, these problems all come from our politicians' addiction to, you know, everything that is international. They just chase infinite growth in spite of the well-being of their people. You know, they're meant to be looking after their nation, but as Serena Duncan Smith said, Britain has become far too addicted to using workers from overseas and should invest more in training and skilling its own workforce. And that's the issue we have, is that globalist politicians intentionally overlook the value we have within our own borders, just for the sake of cheaper products to be brought in en masse, and even these are made by exploited foreign workers. But if enough of us commit to making individual changes across a national scale, we can actually chip away at the globalist system. And with all that said, I think this pretty much wraps us up. Yeah, that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this first episode has given you a brief introduction to our ideas and what we're advocating for. Make sure to follow us for future episodes where we will discuss similar topics and current affairs. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at localmatterseng and on our website thelocalist.org. Alright, thanks everyone for listening again. Take care and bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.